Hello and welcome to the Mabinda podcast series. This is a portal for opinion journalism presented by me, Collins Mabinda Okango. So I basically look at the trending stories from the opinion pieces around the media, in, mostly newspapers in Africa and around the world. Then I give my two cents worth of opinion. So I'll start for this episode. I'll analyze headlines from igambia.org. I think it's a very nice publication. So from igambia.org, meet the man who wrote the first ever PhD thesis in Shona language to decolonize minds. Zimbabwean writer and storyteller Ignatius Tirivangani Mabasa has set a historical record after writing his PhD thesis in Shona language. So the man wrote his PhD thesis in Shona language. Shona is a language in Zimbabwe, one of the most widely spoken languages in Zimbabwe. So this process, of course, I'm happy that uh, the process of uh, going back to our roots is taking root in Africa. So this man wrote his PhD thesis in the native Shona language rather than English, which is the language of academia mostly. So I would think uh, this will help, will really help to decolonize the minds because right now in many African middle class homes, the uh, kids are mainly speaking English and you're lucky if you come from a Kiswahili speaking country then the kids are speaking mainly English and Kiswahili. And even that English has been has to be intonated, has to have an accent of an English person or an American accent. So basically we are developing, uh, we are making our kids to be Europeaners, Africans by excellence. They'll be right here in Africa but their, their minds will be very Eurocentric such as the Kenyan FM, the European African by excellence the former Attorney General Charles Njonjo, who worships the white man's culture to a fault. So, uh, this trend of decolonizing our minds should go on. Even the uh, reggae singer, that is Bob Marley, said there that our minds are colonized. Decolonize your minds, that our minds are colonized. That is what Bob Marley, the reggae singer, said. And so, uh, I will hope even as English continues to butcher our languages, as indeed as it is indeed butchering almost all the world's languages, because it is the lingua franca for uh, culture and language and commerce, we will preserve at least one African language so that it becomes the widespread and for me I would think Israeli is the best African language to be uh, to be the African lingua franca because it is a separate uh, language every community has a word in Bantu I think in Africa and so uh, there are those who say it is Arabized but the Arabic nature in Israel is only no more than 5% and so uh, even the Chinese, this, this uh, imposition, exploitation of Kiswahili to Africa, as in growth of Kiswahili in Africa, shouldn't be seen as cultural imperialism because even China 
the many languages like Cantonese for example when they chose to export Kiswahili to export Mandarin sorry Mandarin so everyone associates speaking Chinese with speaking Mandarin so I would think Kiswahili will unite both uh, Francophone and Anglophone African the Portuguese and Spanish speaking Africans the only thing that Kiswahili needs to do is to have a super technical structure such that languages that its technical ability matches that of English. For example, in uh, Kiswahili word for computer is Tarakneshi, Kiswahili word for mobile phone is Simia Runono, Kiswahili word for email is Barua Pepe. So I will hope this research into the technical uh, terms of, uh, of Kiswahili continues and unabated and uh, universities such as the University of Dar es Salaam have well-fledged Swahili departments and hope that we really strengthen the Swahili uh, language and even we could open Swahili cultural institutes in all African countries so that just like the these Confucius Institute of China to export uh, Chinese culture all over to export Chinese language and culture all over the world. So that's a, a story from my grandma which I've given my two cents. That is Meet the Man who wrote the first ever PhD thesis in China language to decolonize minds. Zimbabwean writer and storyteller Ignatius Rizangani Mabasa has set a historical record for writing his PhD thesis in the native Zimbabwean language, Shona language. And then another story from mygambia.org. Icon lands in Uganda amid his wife's 12 million dollars investment in Ugandan entertainment industry. So Icon is an entrepreneur. He has opened Icon City in, in Senegal. So now he wants to, to, he is looking for, he's been a Pan Africanist for excellence. Uh, urging African Americans to invest back home, urging that their kids visit back uh, Africa more often, and so he's a champion of he's a champion of the cause of Africa and Black consciousness, and so. And I also happen to love his music, and I think if his wife is developing African entertainment industry, then if Black Americans are fueling the American uh, entertainment industry, then I would think that. Uh, African musicians like uh, Wizkid, uh, Wizkid, Diamond Platinum of Tanzania, Sakodi of Ghana, the DJ musicians of South Africa, Bonaboy, then they will be able to uh, match up and not just be mini Jay-Z's or mini Beyonce's or mini Rihanna's, but dance to their own beat and paint their own empty canvas. And then another story from igambia.org. Nigerians protest in London over President Buhari's medical visit. Nigerians protest in London over President Buhari's medical visit. So, this medical tourism by African president really bothers me. Why, why, why are they looking after taxpayers money if they can't attend our our public hospital? So you mean there's not there's no public hospital in or there's no hospital in Nigeria which is What's enough to attend to Buhari? 
that is the question that we need to ask. Should African politicians really be calling themselves our leaders if they can't even uh, attend to the attend the same hospitals that they uh, they are supposed to help construct and manage. So this is really a shame on Nigeria to have their president travel abroad for treatment, because even for example Boris Johnson when he gets sick he just checks into a public hospital in London and so we cannot just go and use the facilities that others have built up and we expect to be treated fairly. This is why the African is despised because he looks up to the rest of the world to solve his problems and so I would hope if you are a public official then you should be using public facilities. If you are an education minister your children should be able to go to to public schools to demonstrate to lead by example and for Nigeria President Buhari should have led by example to go to a hospital in Nigeria, any at least favorably a public hospital or a private hospital, uh, if he sees the public hospital as being too beneath him. But no, he doesn't trust any hospital in Nigeria, and that is just beneath us. The medical tourism should be banned. And there was a time Nelson Man- there's a quote by Nelson Mandela that uh, he said. There will come a time when Africans will no longer be welcome abroad to the white man's land. And so Corona brought that home. Now African ministers have to think of ways that they can be treated at home. This uh, getting abroad for medical treatment really doesn't talk well for me. You saw it with uh, Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe. He went, to treatment. he went for treatment in Singapore and died there. Omar Yaradu, another president of Nigeria, died in a Saudi Arabia hospital in 2010. And then the Prime Minister of of Ivory of Ivory Coast, Bakayoko, just died in a in a German hospital just over a month ago. So you can see African politicians really don't trust our hospitals. So why are they managing our taxes and charging us taxes if they can't build hospitals? So that's, that is really a shame that Buhari is visiting uh, London for medical checkup. He's visiting London for medical checkup, and the Nigerians have a right to protest and demand that he returns back to back home to Nigeria. So those uh, analyzed stories from igambia.org. That is three stories. Meet the man who wrote the first ever PhD thesis in Shona language to decolonize minds. Then. Econ lands in Uganda amid his wife's $12 million investment in Uganda entertainment industry. And then I've looked at another story from mygambia.org. Nigerians protest in London over President Buhari's medical visa. So let me do a quick uh, startup news from around Africa and the world. Uh, quick startup stories from around Africa and the world. So digital contact le- tech in Africa.com. Digital contactless. Payment by Apple Pay now available in South Africa, although I would think mobile money is the way to go in Africa. Contactless payment maybe that's a long way to go, but mobile money, mobile phones are ubiquitous in Africa, widely available. And in Kenya, for example, in 2020, mobile money transactions was worth $47 billion. So in around Africa, if every country had 
a good mobile money transfer platform like Safaricom of Kenya, there will be about a trillion dollars of transactions of mobile money. And then another story from techinafrica.com, North Africa innovators to reap from $32.7 million in seed program. So every region of the world wants to be the next Silicon Valley. The question though is, can Silicon Valley be replicated? Can even New York and Boston have failed to replicate Silicon Valley? That is the home of the Googles and Yahoo's and the Facebooks of this world. Uh, Shenzhen in China is trying with Alibaba and WeChat and Weibo. Then we have uh, in India, Bangalore, but still the Indian, the average Indian spends just about a tenth of the average American. So even though India exports talent to America, uh, for example, a CEO of Google, CEO of Microsoft, CEO of Adobe Systems, CEO of Sun Microsystems are all Indians, but at home they can't replicate that success story of Silicon Valley because the systems and infrastructure and the purchasing power of the Indian are not much that of the American. And then another story from techinafrica.com, South Africa, cloud-based security startup expands to the UK. So, South Africa cloud-based security startup expands to the UK. So, uh, that is good at least. Uh, an Af uh, African company should be able to expand and view the world as their playground and oyster. And so, owning an African owning a multi-billion dollar company shouldn't be an anomaly in the near future. Then from another startup news from techcrunch.com, three ways venture capital firms can construct sustainably diverse portfolios. So venture capital industry is mainly white, is white male dominated and, and is what we call confirmation bias. So a white male is likely to fund a white male because he can relate to him. So we also need black venture capitalists to be able to relate to black experiences or to black founders' experiences, same as women venture capitalists to be able to relate better to uh, women uh, venture capitalists. And then another story from TechCrunch.com, Oregon payment startup, the local quadruples valuation to $5 billion with $150 million that is Oregon payment startup the local contributors valuation to five billion dollars with found fifty million dollars raised although coincidentally that will mean that the founders share is diluted one of the bad effects of venture capital is that your share ownership is diluted with every successive round of fundraising but someone argues, presents a counter-argument that it is, it is better to own 5% of a $100 billion company. So that means your, share, your worth there is $5 billion than own 100% of a 100% of nothing. Because without money, then it's very hard to, to take an idea off the ground. Very few people... Okay, okay, some can build through cash flows, but reinvesting the initial cash flows for expansion. So it's also another, another way to raise capital, but for most people, they will prefer venture capital rather than uh, bootstrapping, that is uh, growing by, by cash flow, growing by reinvesting the initial sales. 
and then Clubhouse will create millions in value and capture none of it. This is an article by Natasha Mascarenas of TechCrunch.com that Clubhouse will create billions in value and capture none of it. So as I said, the billion dollar firm employed practically the whole world. Then the billion dollar industrial company, manufacturing company employed about 20,000 people. And then the billion, that, so that sustained livelihoods for town people, skilled town people. And then the billion dollar startup employs just, just about 10 people there. So you can see with each successive technological round, there is massive loss of jobs. And someone says that the world will lose about 100 million jobs from artificial intelligence. So I don't know how the world is prepared for this. That the world will lose 100 million jobs from artificial intelligence and automation. Like for example, restaurants. So I don't know how, how restaurant workers will fare when a robot starts serving people and cooking basic meals. So no one wants to have that conversation as that now. And then another story from 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 student newspapers. So let me have a quick look at the student newspapers from the Duke Chronicle. Good enough for Fauci, good enough for Duke. So Fauci is the face of coronavirus in America. He's the head of the Infectious Diseases Institute of America. So he was at loggerheads with Donald Trump because he wanted Donald Trump to apply there science metrics but Donald Trump and some far right wingers uh, really didn't trust that coronavirus was lethal and so even Trump suggested at some point that it was just a flu that will be wiped away soon and even suggested that people could use hydrochloroquine to treat corona so that's uh, Trump for you and the right wingers for you so this Duke Chronicle, that is the student newspaper of Duke University, is calling good enough for Fauci, good enough for Duke. A call for in-person commencement. Commencement is American parlance for graduation. So they don't want graduation over Zoom. They want, they don't want graduation over Zoom. They want, uh, they want in-person graduation. So that's it for the analysis. Then you can get my book, that is The New Africa Rising by Collins Mabindo Kango. It's available on Amazon.com for only $4.99. I have attached a link at the top, just copy and paste it into a browser. Where And in the book, I basically analyze and give my perspectives on how Africa can move from the periphery of the world to the front center and lead of the world. How Africa can move from being the 1% continent and move to be the 70% continent, contributing 70% to the global economic output. And so that means we move from producing uh, what we consume and consuming what we produce. We value add, and that will mean we, uh, we add we add value by 200 times from a per capita of 1,000 to a per capita of 200,000, from a GDP of $1 trillion to a GDP of $200 trillion. So that makes me a very mad man for trying to suggest that the African economy should be 10 times the economy of the United States. And so someone told me I should see a psychiatrist because to him the world is 
Africa that he knows is one of disease, poverty, illiteracy, backwardness, civil wars, and cool. So how can this place be ten times the economy of the United States within our lifetime? But for me, I'll argue that there's nothing as powerful as an idea whose time has come. And an idea whose time has come was for Africa to move from being there, cut and dry that it has been to the world for the last 600 years and moved to be front, center, and main actor of the world that it was for millennia before we, we had an abrupt shock that put us off that treasured land. So thank you so much for listening. Get this book. That is The New Africa Rising by Colin Mabinda Okango. It's available on Amazon.com for only $4.99. So I have attached a link at the top. Just copy and paste it into your browser and read the first 20 pages for free. And then if you like it, make a purchase for only $4.99. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'll upload another episode in the next 30 or 40 minutes. So thank you for listening. Bye for now. Thank you so much.